0: Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost, and this week, Shelley and I are excited to introduce you this week to author and lecturer Greg Lavoie. Greg has presented Colleen's workshops at places ranging from the Smithsonian Institute to corporations to universities and colleges across the United States. We reached out to Greg because we were amazed at his insightful and multifaceted examination of the idea of calling from his classic book, Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life. Greg is a fascinating person who's been on this mission of discussing the intricacies of our callings for decades. We're honored to have him on the show, and we know you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Greg Lavoy, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg.
1: Thank you. Delighted to be here.
2: We're thrilled to have you here.
0: It is our honor. We are so excited. I dare say I don't think anyone's going to be able to find a richer book Mm -hmm. than the one you wrote on called "Collins: Finding and Following an Authentic Life. I'm really attracted to the word, the authentic part of that, too. Yeah. Um, but Greg, so, you know, in one part, let's just get right to, let's cut to this. Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, aren't willing as you write to submit them themselves to the dark blossoming of chaos, um, in order. Yeah. We, we can talk about, yeah, you're going to learn through the pain, but we don't want the pain. And, um, and, but that does tend to prompt us for, to look for that multifaceted lens about calling. So here's my question to start us off. People might actively seek when they're in conflict, but there are many ways to hear and receive and respond to a call. So what are some essentials that stick out to you about how to invoke a call?
1: Yeah. Invoking. Um, so I think that calls can come either to us, meaning, say, through dreams or body symptoms or synchronicities or the way in events unfold in our lives or gifts and passions, things like that, or we can go to them. Uh, mm-hmm. So they can either come to us or we can go to them. For instance, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of art making, especially when it's done in the service of self-discovery and authenticity rather than, say, you know, exhibition. Mm. And uh, here I'm thinking of something that a Jungian analyst named James Hillman once said. Oh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. He said, uh, when you want to know what your soul really wants, turn to your images. Mm. And I think what he meant by that was either your dreams or your art. And of course, both of those our visual languages. Um, Now dreams, of course, kind of come to us unbidden, but art, we have to go out and make. So that would be one form of invoking calls. So you can literally, for instance, draw out images of what your calls feel like on the inside, or maybe draw out pictures of uh, what the obstacles to those callings look like and and i and i've done this in uh in many of my uh, weekend retreats i i have people down on the floor drawing with mm. pastel crayons and big pieces of uh of uh, drawing paper and it's an amazing thing just to watch a group of grown-ups and professional people yeah. down on the ground drawing like like uh, school kids and with their tongues sticking out of their mouths it's really it's really amusing <laughs> and, uh, and enlivening um, to watch them create a language that many of them haven't touched since they were kids.
0: Mm, and yeah. and
1: one, one other way you can do it, of course, is uh, by writing. Uh, that's another way to invoke calls, is to uh, sit down to, to have a free writing session, which just means free association writing, and um, or writing in a journal. And I'm thinking of one of my... Um, mentors who doesn't know he's a mentor of mine <laughs> is a guy named Ira Progoff, and he's really like one of the grandfathers of personal journaling, uh, because he started a, a he devised a system back in the nineteen sixties called the intensive journaling process, and he said that the point of journaling is to go down deeply enough into your own well that you eventually hit the stream that's the source of all the wells.
2: Mm.
1: And I I just find that just rapturous just all by itself as an idea. It suggests that there's something very similar to something that callings do, which is they call us beyond our little local story into a, a wider frame of reference, into communion with the wider world, and I think typically through service or sharing your gifts or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so no. ways of invoking calls.
2: Can I, uh, can I've I already learned a I lot? I know that was this awesome. Is great stuff. I, I want to back us up just a little bit though, okay. if I can. Um, and if we could k- form some semblance of a definition of what, what you mean by calling Chad and I were just talking about this, you know, what our definition or a working definition of calling, because I think it, it does get, Um, confused sometime, or maybe it is the same thing as purpose. And so I'm really curious, Greg, how you answer that question when people say, well, what even is a call or a calling?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll trade you. I'm curious what yours are. Mm So mine would be, um, and you have to be careful with this stuff, obviously, because the the whole notion of callings, when people hear that term, it's kind of brined in religious overtones. Right right? So it, it can be tricky, especially when I w- used to go into the corporate setting to do callings workshops. I was literally told, do not use that word in here. Ooh. We know it's the title of your book and we have to introduce you, but don't <laughs> use it because, because of that religious underpinning. So just l- language it like um, maybe integrity or authenticity or passion or things like that. In any case, my definition is really um, first of all, it's plural, callings, rather than waiting for your great big burning bush call. Um, it's the little urgings, the little intuitions, the little promptings and signals that you get in the course of really an average day that tell you um, what it's going to take to stay in integrity with yourself and with your values and with your authenticity. Um, just all anything like... Um, The call to pick up a certain book on a bookshelf just because it kind of jumped out at you or the call to uh, to touch bases with a friend you haven't thought about in a couple of months or uh, or the call to sign up for a class. You know, it, it happens in lots of little ways. So I think of callings as plural for one thing and very close to home, not something you need to go out on some great pilgrimage to find
2: totally agree I completely well, complete I, I believe uh, everything you're saying I endorse I, I like the plural for callings and I also think we can have um simultaneous callings and I think callings can change um, mm-hmm. because I think this whole notion that we have one thing and then Eureka moment where the you know the sky opens up and we are set off on our calling our purpose I just think that's right. Um, a fiction that a lot of people are losing out on life waiting for that and looking for that.
0: Right. I couldn't agree more. And I would add that, I mean, okay, so I kind of wanted to enter into some of these conversations that we're about to be having here on Callings for the Big Self season two. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to just have an open mind, a working definition. It does seem that Callings, Uh, calling is very synonymous and used interchangeably with life purpose. Uh, but it does, I would say s- differently, it has this religious association and in reading callings itself and in reading a lot of books that will focus on, on that, maybe the soul's code by James Hillman, as you right. know, you referenced or, uh, um, Joseph Campbell and stuff. There's a lot of mythology and, you know, kind of philosophies and world, you know, religions that are entwined into the, the storytelling when it comes to callings. That's, that's kind of it for, I mean, to me in the difference.
1: Mm, Okay.
0: (laughs) But I love what you just said about callings, um, because in these tiny little ways, because it almost makes me want to turn my radio receiver on a little bit more. (laughs) It sounds like I should be paying a little bit more attention. So yeah, yeah,
1: that's probably the key to me about how people, um, access their calls, um, is you like you said, you got to be willing to turn on that receiver and hear what you hear, um, and that's an acquired taste for a lot of people. Because what if mm-hmm. the callings you start getting, especially say in the vocational or the relationship arenas, um, are really different than what you're doing at the moment? And callings are kind of famous for rocking the boat, and I think that may be one reason why a lot of people right. don't turn the receiver on is they're afraid what kind of marching orders they're going to get.
2: Yeah, you know, my just real quickly when I think about callings, um, I tend to overthink it. <laughs> I think, and so I'm trying to have a um, beginner's mind, and I've started to think about callings more as experiences. <clears throat> excuse me, that life serves serves up to me that gives me an opportunity if I'm awake. To grow into the person, really, I already am, Um, but but I I feel like that's the pull for me. The call is, you know, so you've got great things coming at you in your life that you can learn and grow in, grow from. You've got crappy stuff coming at you. It's all part of, you know, quote, the call, like really listening to it and, and responding and answering the call is where my responsibility is. Um, and so I'm trying real hard to stay self observing and aware and, um, awake to whatever life is kind of throwing at me. So I, I, I don't know if that resonates at all, Greg, with you, but no. that's how I've been trying to simply think about it.
1: Mm. Yes. I, I hugely resonate to that approach and the willingness, I think, to be in deep conversation with yourself on an ongoing basis um, is really key to setting up the kind of call and response relationship to life that you, I think you're describing. Mm. Um, but you really need to be willing to uh, – there's a, there's a wonderful Jewish proverb that says, if you listen down deep below, you're going you're gonna to deserve to hear from above. Um, which is a slightly <laughs> sort of a quasi-religious way of saying that if you're willing to really listen to your own life, your your dreams, your body symptoms, your intuitions, your passions, um, all of those, uh, then you're going to be will- You're going to deserve to hear from above, meaning to hear your your deeper callings.
0: Wow, okay. that's that's it, fantastic. And
2: would the end goal be? You know, if we think about what's the goal. Not, not that I don't think there is a goal to callings, but is it to serve others? You just mentioned that. So I'm curious if that's the point to even pursuing our callings.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a wonderful question. The point. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, my guess having just through the research that I've done and the self-reflection that I've done on it, the point seems to be authenticity. Authenticity. Is being in integrity with who you really are. Um, and I also think I also think of something that a, a theologian by the name of Frederick Buchner once said. He said that the the sweet spot, the the sense of calling, the experience of calling happens where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger.
0: Yeah, preach. We mm-hmm. love that quote. Yeah. Isn't that fabulous? That's so oh yes. Love and us and so- Frederick Buechner.
1: Right so where your deep gladness your your uh, joy your passion your intensity meets a place intersects with where the world is hungry and in need so part of the point is service it seems mm-hmm. that almost every calling eventually leads people towards some kind of service even if it's just the call to paint in your basement on Sunday mornings. <laughs> you know, this service in the sense that you are, first of all, you're serving yourself. You're serving a desire and a passion and a, perhaps a gift. Um, but also that joy has concentric effects out in the world. The happier you are, um, the better your relationships with other people are going to be, the more you're going to inspire by example. Um, so even when it seems like it's purely self-serving, yeah, there's there's a serving aspect mm-hmm. of it still.
0: Well, I like that. That's an interesting inversion. And let's just like let's just address this question right now, because, I you know, a lot of times even going back. 25 years in exploring this idea of, of calling, you know, a lot of people will bring up the issue of, well, isn't that, you know, aren't you privileged to be able to even think about your calling? I'm just trying to survive, you know? So, yeah. and we've, you know, there's been a lot of, we've, we're coming out of the pandemic, a lot of, um, social, uh, themes that we're finally getting a little bit more aware of and open to discussing. So let's, well, how is the, How would you, you know, say even the mere discussion of calling is, is it a form of privilege or, I mean, I think it's, it should be for everyone, but why is it misinterpreted that way?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a fabulous question. Um, And one that um, for what it's worth, most people never ask me in in an interview. So Hmm. I I applaud you uh, asking that one. It's a tough one to think about. So I recently, Taught a class, a webinar called "What Trusting the Universe Really Means," mm. and uh, mm-hmm. during during which a black woman who was in the session said, "So, is that just another way of saying white privilege?" Yeah, and I, you know, she really caught me, cut me to the quick on that one because I think what she was meaning is that it's easy, it's easier to trust that the universe has your back. <laughs> when, when, you know, luck has favored you with, um, a, you know, a favorable race or sexual orientation or a loving family or good education, good health, uh, you know, regular paycheck. <laughs> and and it's considerably harder to get behind this idea of trusting the universe if you were born into poverty or a war zone or, a you know, a violent family or you're living a paycheck away from homelessness or something. Yeah. Or you're homeless, and you know one is one is going to fill you with the feeling of paranoia, which technically is the belief that the universe is conspiring against you, and and the other is likely to fill you with the feeling of what's called pro noia, which is an actual word. It's the belief that the universe is conspiring in your favor. So, you know, after that experience on the webinar a couple of weeks ago, I'm inclined to uh, to To say yes to your question, to to some degree, Mm -hmm. the notion of a calling, to say nothing of being able to actually follow the thing (laughs) is, you know, is perhaps a privilege. It's a function of having a certain number of um, ducks lined up in your favor before you even entered the scene here. Um, You know, the table was kind of already set for you before you even got here um Mm -hmm. and it's certainly a function of not having to spend a whole heck of a lot of time on earth scrabbling around at the bottom of maslow's hierarchy you know what i mean by that right right. maslow's the psychologist who gave us the the hierarchy of needs pyramid so at the bottom food clothing and shelter and then above that belonging to a tribe and etc at the top is self-actualization to some degree callings are about self-actualization if you're scrabbling around with food clothing and shelter that's going to be a tough sell. Yeah! Wow! That you know, what a- I mean? but yeah. but 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 getting callings, I believe, like I think you were insinuating, happens to everyone. Access is is another story, right? But ev- everybody's got gifts, talents, and passions. I think that's universal.
2: Yeah. And I love that you're just naming that. I think so. I want to dance around it and I want to be like, no, it's not privilege. No, it's for everybody. But I think you're right. There is this element of, let's just be honest, like to have the luxury to, you know, buy books and read and attend seminars and really even have the time uh, to self-observe and introspect and experiment in your life. There is privilege in that. But I, and I do love though, that, that, they're, they're ubiquitous. Callings are happening everywhere for everyone all the time. Right. What we do with that um, and how we engage it, I think is largely dependent on so many other factors that yeah. uh, we don't really ha- talk about in this callings conversation.
0: Right. right. And I like that you use Maslow's hierarchy there. It, it gives a, a way to kind of think of, you do have to have some scaffolding underneath you to yeah to be pursuing some of this
1: absolutely i uh can't remember i think it was billy holiday who said um what is it um you gotta have a little food in your stomach before you can consider uh what was it that she said (laughs) um you know what it is you're supposed to do in the world or what other people want you to do and there was something about that that really cuts to the chase right there yeah
2: yeah.
0: We're going to look that up. I, well,
2: and I, I, I want to talk for a minute about authenticity because I feel like that may get um, a, a little bit deeper in this con- this privilege conversation because because um, what I'm thinking is authenticity privileged. I don't think it is. I feel like that's a little bit of a difference. Could you talk a little bit more about mm. how you think about authenticity in this larger kind of pursuing your callings? conversation. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, in light of the, the the last thing we just discussed, it's, it's interesting to think of even authenticity could be a kind of a privilege. Um, but nonetheless, my um, you know, since we're talking about callings, I think they either lead us or push us <laughs> toward authenticity in the sense of being true to yourself or in alignment with your values or your you know, your virtues or uh, finding a match between who you are and what you do, you know, like, like Buchner's quote about deep gladness and the world's deep hunger. Um, and, um, yeah, I think most people know it, <clears throat> pardon me, when they're in alignment with themselves. And they, they, they sense it, and they know when they're not. Um, It's just something you feel uh, when you're speaking your truth or not, when you're um, honoring your own deepest values and when you're not. And when you're not, I mean, my experience is probably similar to other people's. I feel out of whack with myself or I feel bored or restless or sometimes envious of other people's success. Or I can't sleep at night because my soul is constantly shouting at me to wake up.
0: Mm.
1: um so i think people know when they're in alignment and living in a state of authenticity and that's not necessarily because their lives are rich and uh successful by you know the usual metrics of the american dream uh like when i left employment for self-employment, which was very much following a calling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I quit my job as a reporter to become a freelance writer. I had to change my definition of success in order to even feel successful. So especially in the first few years, um, when I was pretty much ripping through my savings account, um, I didn't feel successful so much as a writer, but because I was a writer – Because I was a freelancer, you know, because I followed the call to become self-employed as a writer and write what I needed to write rather than what my editors needed me to write. So my definition of success changed to one that was more about authenticity and integrity rather than external success. Does that make sense?
0: Mm -hmm, Yes, yes. And you do discuss that at times throughout your your, uh, your book. Uh, and right. I, and I love when you, you write, uh, at our very, at our first steps toward authenticity or love or compassion or any high calling, every devil in hell will come out to meet us. Only when you try your vision in the world can you test whether it's true. And that, you know, it reminds me of that idea of like when you're meeting resistance, you should be assured that you're about to, you know, be birthing something great. I forget exactly where that quote's from. But so my question is, what is that about? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't we suddenly recognize the alignment of forces coming to our aid? Mm. (laughs) I, um,
1: I, I before I respond to that I, I, I would question that um, assumption that um, if you meet lots of resistance you you can be assured that you're about to birth something great yeah um, I think ideally that's that would be wonderful to have it happen that way but I I can think of um, there must be examples of people meeting a lot of resistance and not birthing something great, just being s- sort of crushed by it. That was
2: a story of my life about three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Which we'll speak about. We could talk and about exa- it. Well, exactly. That's why I think these kinds
0: of conversations can be confusing because yeah. people, you'll find these quotes about, well, you, you just be assured you're something great you're on must the brink be of something great. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, I, I love to I would love to believe that the
1: universe generally operates in that fashion, but um, my experience maybe like yours is not necessarily borne that out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I love this one yeah. this this manifestational phrase: a uh, leap and the net will appear. Right. It's like um, would love to believe that I have had experiences myself of leaping and going splat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I I just wanted to address that I don't want to lead people astray that resistance means they're about to have a massive breakthrough. No, resistance means that they're on the path. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's mm. just the way life unfolds. Uh, the pandemic is a perfect example. You know, you can have your life in perfect working order, and then suddenly something out of left field comes and just just whacks you, and it's how you respond to the resistance that shows up that really is, I think, where some of the greatness occurs, um, where you start to birth something great. Is in, And this is what uh, Viktor Frankl was telling us in Man's Search for Meaning, uh, right. and his stories come out of, of course, the Holocaust, is that the one thing they cannot take from you is your, your freedom to choose how you're going to respond to whatever hits the fan. <laughs>
0: Well, and I like that. And, you know, in, at, at later in your, your book, you, um, you quote the, uh, the novelist G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton about the um, re- reframing, an adventure is only an inconvenience rightly considered. Right. Inconvenience is only an adventure wrongly considered. Mm. Um, but to give an example of someone who was meeting resistance from your very, your very book and stuck with it would be Lee Glick- Glickstein, oh yes yeah so like you were saying that he started this speaking circles class and you know only one would show up but he just kept doing it and then then four but he just kept doing it and and there's this idea of like you can be sending I guess we could say messages to the universe that this is what I do Mm -hmm. and stick with it and things will happen
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and he in fact was the person who taught me never cancel a class for lack of enrollment, hmm. um, yeah. which I've been tempted to do on many occasions when they don't meet my criteria for, you know, critical mass or whatever, uh, or even just cost effectiveness. Right. Uh, and uh, and it's critical because you don't know the effect of even the couple of people who show up. Hmm. And um, so, uh, so I'm curious what you, you had mentioned, uh, that was the story of my life three years ago.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: do you mind me asking you to sure. elaborate
2: on that? Yeah. And this, you know, cause I, um, I was heading up a, a technology startup and, and my background is in psychology, uh, you know, went to seminary, I've been a therapist, mm-hmm. like, so I was kind of put into this tech CEO role and, you know, um, and I talk, I say this quote all the time by Thomas Merton, which is <laughs> mo- many people spend their lives climbing the ladder of success only to realize uh, at the end that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Right. And so I think about that is, you know, for three years running this company and it it literally ran me in the ground, <laughs> excuse me, which is a part of my story around burnout and this kind of psychological um Deprivation, darkness that was a part of that process. But the whole time I'm doing this, I'm like, you know, this is part of my calling or this is part of my purpose right now. And um, I got to get through the resistance. I got to forge through it. I've got to learn the lessons. And I think the more I did that, the more I just was um, denying something very essential to my personhood. And um, you mentioned James Hillman, who I adore, um, and his "The Soul's Code" is one of my favorite books. And how he talks about symptoms as as a reflection of kind of the soul's um, almost like descent, or or a sense of like um, you know psychological, physical. You mentioned body symptoms; they're signposts that you're you're not in alignment with something. And so I I refuse to see that. I could only see that I, um, I had to push through this resistance to get to the gold lining (laughs) and and it didn't ever come. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. The startup imploded, but you know, here I am. And I, I love how you talk about in your book too, like looking like we can only kind of connect the dots. Um, and I can't remember how you say it, but like there really is, there's a point where we can look back and connect these dots. And is that part of our calling? Mm. Um, I can't see it looking forward, uh, I would never want to go back and endure that, but I do think it's brought me to where I am. Mm, um, wow. Yeah. So how do you think about that?
1: Wow, well, you know, <clears throat> uh, I think there's a reason you mentioned Joseph Campbell. There's a reason that in his template of the of the hero's journey, he says that phase one of responding to a calling is running from it. Mm. <laughs> uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which uh, really strikes home for me and and for most people that I've interviewed about their callings is resistance is absolutely part of the path Um, and it's part of the calling itself. And to expect that you're going to just, you know, sally forth into a calling and all the doors will swing open is simply not realistic. Um, And so I really appreciated that he uh, shared with us that, phase 1 of responding to your callings is going to be resistance it's uh, fear uh, and you know the pandemic has showed this to a lot of us uh when when that first happened i realized i'm in the business of public gatherings essentially mm-hmm. i'm uh, teaching uh workshops and lectures and conferences and retreats and all that and all of that went the way of the dodo bird instantly and mm-hmm. i was yeah. forced to deal with um, a calling I've been avoiding for 10 years, which is um, getting up and running on, on teaching online, hmm. I've turned down every opportunity to do that for 10 years because my line, my story, um, and stories so often need to be reconsidered as we go along, has been I'm a high-touch, low-tech presenter. I don't do webinars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and a pandemic... Surprise! Yes, Exactly. <laughs> It cured me of that one, and I and I had to get over myself and move through my own resistance to getting up and running on the technology Um and um, having to just deal with the once-removed nature of Zoom teaching. Um, but I did it, and, you know, I, you have to respond to the resistance that continually comes up when you're called to do anything. It's just, it's like... Are, are, are you guys meditators? You have any kind of meditation practice?
2: I do, I do somewhat. Not yeah, somewhat. A little bit. Not yes. as consistent yeah. as I would like.
1: Yeah, me too. But um, it, it seems to me that our meditation teachers are always telling us that when we sit down to meditate um, and the dog starts barking or, you know, the kids start fighting in the other room or the planes start going overhead, rather than cussing and moaning about it, we're supposed to say to ourselves ah the dog bark meditation <laughs>
0: yeah <You laughs> no, so you know, and, i kind and of like, well i've become go. when i started meditating a little bit um the last year um as i was working on uh, a book on meditating i uh, i I, f- I found myself like i maybe right now i kind of prefer to be in the stew of my anxiety Mm. Like, I, like I've become, a, what does that say? I'm more aware of it, but, um, I don't know if I want to like still all the voices. Is oh, it, that's interesting. And yeah, why that is, is that?
2: Interesting. Why is that? Oh, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's psychoanalyze. I don't you, Greg. know. I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just uh, too lazy to be self-disciplined that way. Oh, well, yeah, that could be that. But oh. I don't know. Um, oh, go ahead,
2: Shelley. No, well, I'm going to let Greg go ahead
1: there's also something very interesting about the stew that's going on in there. Um, You know, I I just up close, almost everything is interesting. Um, Mm. And, you know, I I literally took a workshop at Esalen years ago called the max. And it's, it's the single scariest write up in the entire Esalen catalog. And this is a catalog filled with things that are just designed to scare the wits out of you. Um, and the facilitator said, "I'm going to encourage you guys during this week not to meditate, not to go down to the baths and chill out." And and she said, "I'm sort of mean that tongue in cheek, but not really, because I don't want you to get too comfortable. Hmm. This is about being at the edge, and yeah. you know, don't don't you know, do your usual." You know, soothe the savage beast practices. She says, "I want you to be on the edge, the growing edge this week, so mm-hmm. I just think of that when I hear your thing about wanting some part of you wants to be in the stew
2: <laughs> I do yeah. like I think about when I do a, a calling's um co- co- i don't I don't know if it's coaching or just more of these talks with people. I do ask like what are what are you most aware that you're avoiding? And I think that gets to that resistance question uh, that a lot of us aren't even, we're not even really conscious of. And I think for me, when I look back at the time as the tech person, CEO, um, I think what I was aware of is that I wanted to play small
0: Mm.
2: and I was called to play something bigger. And it was very wobbly because I didn't really know what I was doing. But I think that was part of the, the bigger calling for me in my life was to step into my authority mm. and and kind of own some power a little bit where my tendency is to want to back away from that so I think right. um, I think there's something about that resistance avoiding question that can help people get to to w- what might be calling them
1: absolutely and what the resistance to the call is. Mm. I think that's a really, really pertinent question to ask people. Is uh, tell me about the avoidance? What do you what what fears come up for you when you think about moving toward your sense of authority, for mm-hmm. instance, or your sense of uh, um, stepping into your full, powerful voice, which seems to be a calling a lot of people have? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean to get big? Uh, yeah, and you know, I, I. Um, I think I learned this when I was doing research for the Callings book, that in the central, you know, you've heard the term a creation story, Mm -hmm. Uh, the stories that cultures all around the world come up with to explain how they got there. So in the central creation story in our canon, the Western canon, which is Genesis, uh, chaos is spelled with a capital C, Mm -hmm. and it's described as the condition of the earth before it was formed. Which I take to mean chaos precedes creation. And that's been a really powerful idea for me in just managing and navigating my own life, um, especially when um, you know, things hit the fan. Yeah, that's good. When I run into resistance or a pandemic suddenly blows into town or um, things don't turn out the way I want or the creative process is messy and unkempt. I, I think of this idea that chaos precedes creation. Not always. I mean, I can sit down at the piano and just improvise a piece I've never played before without there being massive chaos. So I don't want to overstate that. But in you know, I just sat down recently and created a timeline of the growth spurts in my life since I, as far back as I could remember. All the growth spurts, and they almost 100% corresponded with um, periods of disruption. Hmm. So it, it was really a confirmation for me of this idea of chaos precedes creation, is that, and I'm not so afraid of it anymore. I, in fact, I dive into it with a certain amount of relish is uh, because I know that this is part of the creative process.
0: Well, you should see Shelly's desk. I mean, it is so chaotic. <laughs> there, there must be so much it's creative creativity about to happen. So I, I well, wanna, that is a really, I'm going to have uh, to.
2: Yeah, I, I am thinking about this, but I'm also thinking about someone listening right now who is trying to discern if, okay, if what I'm feeling and enduring in my life is the chaos before the creation and I just need to endure, hmm. um, or, it, or you know, and is it resistance or is, it, is this something that, um, and you talk a lot about enthusiasm in the book too, Greg. So, you know, or is this something in my life that I need to pay attention to? I am on the wrong path. I'm not enthusiastic this is really just freaking hard yeah. and I need to course correct. So how would you help someone who's trying to discern like things are really chaotic and hard right now. Am I on the right path and I'm um, getting there and this is part of the, the process or do I really need to rethink this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a profound question because we all come up to those places in our lives. Yeah. Is, am I on the right track or the wrong track here? Do I need to, give up or go back to the drawing board? Do I need to push through or or, or do I need to surrender something here? Yes. And those are all discernment questions and discernment is, is sticky stringy work. It's, um, so, uh, this again brings me back to the importance of staying in conversation with yourself at a deep level is, um, don't drop the ball on the, on the self-reflective dialogue is be journaling, be uh, reading contemplative books, be involved in a a group whose members are getting together for the purpose of waking up. Mm -hmm. Um, Have um, mentors, or uh, I've got a little mastermind group of just a handful of people who get together every week just to process our lives and talk about them. Um, So there needs to be some self-reflective muscle that's operating all the time so that when questions like the one you just posed come up um you have you have ways of dealing with it and diving into it and, and continuing the exploration and uh yeah sometimes you do you do need to uh you know like when i'm using gps and i make a wrong quote wrong turn um my GPS woman, who's got a, a British voice, um, just reroutes me. Mm-hmm. There's no drama. <laughs> There's not like, you never listened to me. I told <laughs> you to turn right back there.
2: No judgment.
1: <laughs> There's not, you
0: know. Yeah. Just, okay, new direction.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Okay, new direction. So um, to try to keep the drama to a minimum and just say, okay, I'm, I'm running up against resistance. First of all, feel what you feel, Greg. You know, don't run over it by going to the next thing on your to-do list. It's okay to just feel what you feel. Uh, Krista Tippett, the NPR commentator who does the On Being podcast, Mm -hmm. she said one of the callings, this is actually the word she used, of the pandemic is to sit respectfully with how truly stressful this all is.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: That is a beautiful piece of wisdom in regard to the question you asked, Shelley, is Mm -hmm. sit, sit with how you actually feel being in this Uh, this tight passage and just make a little bit of space around it and just let yourself be, this is where I am. Uh, But it also helps to not be such a bloody rugged individualist and try to figure this all out by yourself. Um, I I generally suck at asking for help. I know a lot of people do, Um, but the willingness to just gently submit this to other people's opinions, especially people who um care about you and don't have an ax to grind and aren't the kind of people who are going to try to, um, you know, play fixer, mm-hmm. uh, but who will really listen and feed you back and ask you questions. Um, I think it's useful to, to submit it to other people so that you're not the only one trying to figure this out. But ultimately, really, my, my MO when I'm in a place like that is take a step and look at the feedback my life gives me. Take a step toward a calling, And then look at the feedback rather than saying, I'm going to make a one year goal. I'm just going to work my butt off and then I'm going to assess it in a year. No, Um, because you're going to just paint yourself into all kinds of corners by doing that. Um, Take a step toward it. So buy a book, talk to somebody about it, um, you Mm. know, attend a lecture, um, come up with an affirmation, whatever. Take a step toward a calling and then look at how that felt. (laughs) Do I feel better or worse or or more awake or more asleep or, um, what is, what are my dreams telling me or what, what is my body telling me? So there's a constant call and response thing Mm -hmm. you're setting up with your own self.
2: Yeah. I like that. The call and response. And there's a little bit of, um, managing the ambiguity of it. We have yeah. to get comfortable that this is an ambiguous, like, it's a, it's a, ten, there's a tension in this process. We can't, yes. there are no clear cut kind of answers, which is, I think, what we in the West, especially, always are looking for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Ambiguity and uncertainty are stinkers. <laughs> and, um, and just, you know, this, this, this advice uh, to just sit in the um, stew and sit in the, um, the uncertainty is a really hard call for a lot of people, which is why uh, one of these things that somebody says to you every once in a while in your life that just stops you in your tracks and maybe even redirects your life. This was one of them. Somebody said to me, Greg, you need to learn to manage paradox better. Wow. Said, yeah, that's what I said. What, <laughs> wow. What, does that mean? what do you mean? He said, well, you, you, um, you know life is full of dualities yes and no head and heart us and them now or later um and you're tearing yourself apart trying to f- f- you know find the right decision you need to be able to hold the tension he said between two seemingly opposing ideas or energies or impulses without you know hurling your lunch mm-hmm. um you just need to be able to hold that two things that seem opposing to one another are both true simultaneously. Yeah. And they exci- no. you know you need to bring them to the bargaining table to hammer out a treaty that's going to work for both yeah. of them, rather than doing what you're doing is trying to stuff one or another of them under the floorboards just to get rid of the tension. Yeah. Right. You can't, you can't do that because whatever you remember, the, the Edgar Allan Poe story, the, the telltale heart. Oh, <laughs> yes. You can't. You can't. You know, this guy kills somebody and buries him under the floorboards in his house, and then the, the beating of the man's heart, at least in his imagination, makes him confess to the crime. You know. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, the human psyche, and I'm not. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, being in your lines of work. But the human psyche seems to me like um, it's a. It's like uh, the the world. It's a closed system. In the sense that there's no, there's no away as in running away, you know. There's no out as in throwing the garbage out, and there's no trash icon up here in the psyche. That whatever I push down, um, just to, to get a simple answer or even just to move forward, if whatever I push down is going to come up someplace else in the system.
0: Right. There's no permanent delete button.
1: There is no delete button exactly, and. Um, You know, systems theory being what it is, uh, like John Muir said, everything's hitched to everything else, um, means that you can't push uh, some inconvenient truth under the floorboards and proceed as if it's not there. And I remember the best description I have ever heard of systems theory does not come from a scientist. It comes from a poet Um, named Jose Frias. He's a Mexican poet. He said, I tried to drown my sorrows with drink, but the damn thing has learned how to swim.
0: Ooh, that's good. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who's that poet?
1: Jose? Frias. F-R-I-A-S. Okay. Okay.
2: Um, so I, I talk a lot about homeostasis in that same sense of like, we're always trying to create that balance, whether it's emotionally, mentally, psychologically, the system is wired to do that. Well,
0: ba- and based upon what you're saying about paradox and uh, and, and and all these, I've, I've got the perfect question for you, I feel like, because you write that, you know, there are just as many reasons not to follow a calling as there are to follow a calling and both good and bad consequences either way. I thought this was a pretty paradoxical and and fascinating statement um, about callings. And so, yeah. I mean, so first of all, if I feel like if someone's going to say no to their calling definitively, well, they're probably not listening that well in the first place, but I could be wrong. What do you think about just like some, someone saying no to their call? Like, how do you say no clearly and consciously or mostly saying no? Yeah. Mm. Well, Did I stump you? Did I- <laughs> you know, No,
1: no, no. It's a great, it's a great question. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I think there's essentially three responses to a calling. Yes, no, and maybe. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think it's uh, it's that infernal maybe, you know, that endless indecision and waffling that can just kind of rob years and decades mm-hmm. out of your life. I think it's better just to say if, if you don't want to follow a calling, it just scares the heck out of you, and um, it'll rock the boat more than you're willing to, to live with, then just say no forthrightly and be done with it and be disappointed in yourself um, rather than yes, no, yes, no, maybe, 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 and drive yourself crazy and everybody else around you, because at least that way you'll know where you stand. Um, If you Mm -hmm. just say, no, I'm not going to do that. And the fact of the matter is, I think I mentioned this early in the book, um, a calling is not a divine subpoena. Mm. You know, you have a choice, you have a vote, um, and there would be consequences either way. I just figure if you're going to, because suffering is so endemic to callings, in addition to joy and authenticity and integrity and and aliveness, there's also suffering and resistance and fear. Um, I just figure if there's going to be fear and suffering in life, whether you follow your calls or not, you might as well suffer in the service of your calls and, you know, like die doing what you love rather than what you don't.
0: Mm. that's what Absolutely. i think yeah um
1: but but and it's important i think people have to know this about callings they will not give up yeah they this the search party isn't going to retire they're going to try to break through into consciousness till the last minute of consciousness uh. and my own experience certainly bears this out. The more you ignore callings, the more likely they're going to turn up the voltage and the volume on you. <laughs> and then then what you're going to be doing is uh, tempting a call to turn into a wake up call. Mm.
0: Wow, now that's, that's a good. catchy one yeah. right there. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I have just one more last question for you, Greg. Um, if someone's listening and they're they're in that beginning process of really discerning. Um, what are the callings in my life? Like, what am am I, what am I, my intuition needs to pay attention to here? What's the first thing? And you kind of talked about this a little bit, but if you could just give them like the first step on this process, um, what wisdom could you offer to folks?
1: Uh, um, Wow. I mean, the first thing is offer yourself a generous bow to the willingness to, as Chad said, turn on that receiver and hear what you hear. Just say congratulations. I um, I appreciate that I feel courageous enough to to finally know what my calls, what my sense of purpose are, um, what I was put here in the world to do. You can language it any way you like. Um, so I just think an honoring of the self is really important. It's like you know, it's taken me a long time to get to the point of wanting to hear what my calls are because I sense. And maybe I've always sensed that they're going to rock my world, mm. and um, and then I would say find some accessible, graceful way of taking field notes. <laughs> that is, uh, journaling. Buy a journal and um, do some journal writing every day, or a free writing practice like I do in the mornings, um, or uh, join a a discernment group, pull together a group of other people who might want to meet twice a month to talk about their callings, um, or uh, pick up a book about callings,
2: um, you know. We can uh, recommend a great one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't mean that to sound quite so self-serving. And uh, for that matter, on my website, I've got this all these pages of callings, movies, callings, music, callings, poetry. If people want to just kind of like sit and watch a movie on a Friday night, there's fabulous movies out there about following callings. And that might be kind of a gentle way of getting into it. It's kind of like Netflix your way into it.
2: (laughs) So I have to tell you real quick, Greg, when I was, I was on a writing retreat and I brought your book with me for inspiration. Mm. And the first day I woke up to write, and I was reading through your book and I was like, This this is really good. And I was like, damn, this is really good. Like I have I don't know that I would say anything, you know, unique compared to what Greg has written here. And I called my husband, called Chad. And I was so upset. I was like, I'm a terrible writer. I don't have anything to say. And he, you know, he talked me off the ledge a little bit. And then I went to your website. And I found all the stuff that you were just mentioning, and that's when I I fell in love with you. I was like, this, oh. this, the um, the application, the book. You know, it, there's so just, I can't tell people enough. There's so much rich stuff in here, oh. and, and practical stuff. I think for, people can really apply to their lives. But going to your website and seeing how you um, the poems and the the pieces of art and the work and all the things that you presented and like resources there, yeah. I was like, that's gold for people who are really trying to make that connection like how does this look in life so I I really love that you have that on there
1: well thank you I really appreciate you mentioning that because that means a lot to me to give people lots of resources for helping them through these um, you know these discernment processes because they they can be quite challenging Mm -hmm. quite challenging
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um the book uh Collins um has, you know, it's done what very few books do. It has a tremendous shelf life. Mm. It, this thing's been around for you've got it's it's I would call it a a classic. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. over two decades. Yeah. Yeah, it's very uh speaks to me now and it's the kind of book you can
2: keep returning to. Collings, so, Finding and Following an Authentic Life. Greg, can you tell folks where to find you, um, if they want to take a workshop or just follow your work? Where where best to find you and reach out?
1: Yeah, well, World Headquarters is the website, so it's greglevoy.com, dot com, G R E G G L E V O Y dot com. That's pretty much it. Okay,
2: and we they will, can find everything. Yeah, we'll there. put these things in the
0: show notes as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, of course. Well, this was um, just such an honor to have you Mm -hmm. on and I I wish we had more time and we could talk so much. There's so much to unpack from your book, Uh, but it is, has grown quickly into a Prevost favorite. So (laughs) thank you for sharing all this with us today.
1: You're most welcome. And thank you for a very engaging uh, conversation.
2: Yeah. Likewise. This was fun. Thank you.
1: All righty.
2: Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you like this podcast and you're interested in the idea of discerning your callings, go to BigSelfSchool.com corevalues core values and download the free activity that we've created for you there. We think that getting clear on your core values is a critical first step in really understanding your callings. It's fun. It'll take 15 minutes and we really think it will help.
0: And join the community on Facebook at Big Self School Students. You can find us at Big underscore self on Twitter and at the Big Self School on LinkedIn and Insta. We'd love to hear from you. What show has made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? Thanks for tuning in.